0: This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. So I want to uh, share out of Luke chapter 8, um, two stories that come back to back. And then we're going we're to finish up in a few minutes going back to The scripture that I opened up with from 1 Timothy chapter 1 um, about how God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. But we're going to start with the, um, the two stories in Luke. And it's important to know that these two stories happen in three of the four Gospels. And they happen back to back in all three of the Gospels. And I never really paid attention to that before. But, and and I know sometimes, you know, it may seem like, well, we're trying to read something into something. We're, you know, trying to make something out of nothing. But as you know, you've heard me use this term spiritual imagination a lot. I I just don't think God's going to judge me if I'm wrong for using my spiritual imagination and just letting it go all over the place. Especially if... Um, I'm studying on a particular subject and I'm digging deep. I'm really excavating into scripture about it. And then I come across these things. You know, I tend to think that's him speaking to me. I tend to think that's him showing me stuff, you know. So, um, and that's the case here. So, the, it, the stories that we're talking about, and we'll get them up on the screen in a minute, but are the story of Jesus calming the storm. Remember that? And then it's followed by the story of him uh, delivering a demon-possessed man. And in one of the Gospels, it's two men and the other two, it's only one man. And you get those kind of little differences in the details of the stories here and there in the Bible. You know, these, these books were written pretty long periods of time after they actually happened, after the situations happened, after Jesus was already gone. And there's a detail off here and there. Or it could be that it's two separate stories. But based on the fact that it follows... The calming of the storm, and it's back to back in three of the gospels. I'm pretty sure it's the same story. It's just um, that detail is different in one of the accounts. <clears throat> and so, if I can just read it if we ha- are having technical issues here, let me give me a second. Because I think it's important for us to hear it and to uh, really visualize what's happening. So, in Luke chapter 8, Starting at um, verse 22. If my phone will cooperate. Okay, good. Who said that? That girl got a country accent, don't she? One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith, he asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obeyed him. Let's pause right there for a second. So in that day, a boat that they would get on and sail from one side of the lake to the other is going to be a small wooden structure with probably four, maybe six paddles, right? So it's, it's primitive because that was a primitive time you don't have a motor you don't have you know i went to louisiana went fishing last monday and tuesday and the the boats these days are just phenomenal i mean it's unreal it's like getting into a spaceship and you've got the navigation system, and you've got the depth finder, and you've got all this technology on the boat, and you've got these power poles. Whereas you used to have to throw an anchor over the side, you just hit a button, the power pole goes down, secures the boat to the bottom, and it's just it's just an awesome piece of machinery. The boat that I was on is only 28 feet long, but it was a hundred and sixty thousand dollar boat. Can you imagine, right? And so back in that day. It wasn't like that. It's a small wooden structure with some tar and some sap in the cracks to keep it from leaking, and you got some paddles, and that's really all there is to it. In addition, you didn't have Doppler radar back then. You didn't have the weather app on your cell phone, right? You had no idea when one of these storms was just going to blow up out of nowhere. It just happened, and wherever you were and whatever was going on, you just had to deal with it. Okay, so they get out on the water some distance out, and this really violent storm just blows up out of nowhere. And there's a lot of wind, and the water, the waves have gotten so high that the waves are crashing over and swamping the boat. Now, would you agree that that's probably a situation that would create some anxiety for most of us? I have been on some boats that had high-speed, high-powered motors and all the technology, and we got in the middle of some high waves and some bad weather, and it created a lot of anxiety for me, and it created a lot of other things that came out of me that you probably don't want to hear about. It's scary. I got sick on a boat going out of Mexico Beach in Florida one time, we stopped 45 minutes out to fish for bait, that's when I got sick. After the bait fishing and I'm violently ill, praying God would just go ahead and take me, the other guys on the boat said, well go and lay down over there, we're going fishing. So we went out another hour onto the open water and they fished for about seven hours. While I, you know, stood at death's doorway, or lay at death's doorway, I should say. And this little deckhand had the nerve to go over and grab a gut bucket, you know, a chum bucket, and dip it down into the water and pour it over my head and say, I will help you. I said, you help me again, I'm going to throw you overboard. It can be bad when you're out on the water like that, and it can create fear. It can create anxiety. And you may be pressing hard toward the shore at 40, 45 miles an hour, but it doesn't matter. You still are feeling some sense of dread, some sense of doom, some sense that this could be really bad in a minute. Well, these guys are out here, and this really bad storm blows up that they were not expecting, and the water is coming over into the boat. It's swamping the boat. They're on the verge of sinking, and they become... Afraid. Naturally so. Okay, and this is an extreme example for us, but it's still a good example, and it's a really good example because of the story that follows. And Jesus comes out to them, and and he, He asks them a really powerful question on the tail end of this. He says, Do you not have any faith? Do you still not have any faith? See, they've just been witnesses to some really cool God stuff that He did. They, they have experienced the divine and the supernatural. And they have Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. Now, they really don't have a full understanding of what's going on yet, but they have been personally involved in miraculous things that he's done, and he's right there in the boat, and he's so tore up about this storm that he's taking a nap. Couldn't we learn something from that? And they wake him up and they said, we're about to die, we're about to go under, why are you down here sleeping? And he says, "Oh, hang on a second, winds lay down, waves be calm, everything's all right. And he turns around and says to them, What's wrong with you? You still don't have any faith? You still don't have any faith? So why does he ask them that question? He asked them because their automatic first reaction was to go to fear. Their automatic first reaction was negative. Any guilty parties in the room? Their automatic first reaction was to assume the worst. God's right there. He's right there. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's still with He got in the boat with them. He's making the journey with them. He's right there side by side. They can physically lay eyes on Him. We can't physically see Him. They could physically see Him. They'd been witness to His glorious works already. Yet their first and automatic reaction is to go to fear, anxiety confusion, doubt. And, and that's the reason for his question. He says, look, why is that your automatic? Why is your default to go to the bad part of the situation? What, you know, if we could ever come to the point where we see the problems that come to us in life as opportunities for God to do a good work, we'd be in a pretty cool spot. Instead of going to the default of worry, the default of anxiety, the default of depression, the default of negativism, if we could just see, you know, we stopped using the word problems at City of Refuge, we started using the word opportunities, right? Thank you, God, for the opportunities that will come to us today that may look like a problem on the outside, but we're going to choose to make our default to see it as an opportunity, not as a problem. Where is your faith? And of course, that blows their minds in fear and amazement. They ask one another, Who is this? <laughs> what? What's going on here? He flips the script. See, we're talking about thinking. He's teaching them them to think a different way than they've ever thought before. These, some of these guys have been fishermen as a career, as a vocation in their lives. And so for their whole lives as adults going out and fishing for a living, When a storm blows up, the default is, well, this could be terrible. This could be bad. I'm going to assume the worst. We're going to die. The waves are crashing over. What are we going to do? He's teaching them how to change the way they think. Change the way you view it. Change the way you develop thought patterns towards it. Don't you have me now, he says you have me. I'm right here. You can change the way you think about things now because I am a constant presence in your life. If you're in this room this morning and you don't have him, I got nothing for you. (laughs) Y'all hear me say that all the time. You're welcome, but I got nothing for you. If you're not willing to trust God with your life, I can't help you. But if you acknowledge that He is real, that He's alive, and that He is your Lord and He's your constant friend and your constant source, and the Spirit of God never leaves you, then I'm here to remind you and reassure you today that He, should, he can always be your default. He should always be your default. It should be automatic to go to Him first. They say, who is this? What's going on here? And then this goes to the next. They say, He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey Him. And they sailed then. To, and this is the next story. So I said there's two stories back to back. And this is so cool the way this lines up to me because I feel like I believe wholeheartedly that He's teaching us something out of this and putting these stories together for us. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, don't torture me, for Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and the demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. So you go from... A few of His followers on a boat with Him experiencing a storm and once again being witnesses to the miraculous work of His hand and the power over creation. You see it? This is huge God stuff. When you can point to wind and rain and waves and thunder and lightning and command that it be still and it obeys your voice. It doesn't get any bigger than that. So what happens here? How are these two stories connected? He takes it from that huge, enormous picture of creation and God's power over creation, and he boils it down to one individual. Do you know who that individual is? That's you. And that's me. It's this guy, but it's us. Our perspective should be that the God of the universes who spoke and said, let there be light, is the same God that speaks light onto our pathway day by day as we say yes to where he's leading. The same God who commands wind and waves shows up when we have fear, anxiety, confusion, problems, questions, and we cry out to Him. How does this guy know His name? This guy recognizes God, Jesus, the Son of God, because of the Spirit that's in Him. You see, the evil spirit that comes to us and messes with our minds and toys with our thought processes knows that God is around. He knows it. But he's still going to attempt to distract, to discourage, to bring about fear and confusion. But I don't know about you, I take, Great heart and great encouragement knowing that this enormous God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present in every situation is tending to the storms that are going on inside of me. He cares that I'm hurting. He cares that fear is coming against me. He cares that I am a little bit lost on my journey right now. He cares that love has been buried under a little bit of rubble, and He's there, He's showing up to help me dig it out. you got a solitary man who's living alone out in a, in a, a solitary area, Because he's not fit to live in society. Again, just like the storm is an extreme example, this is an extreme example of one Human being, why, why does why does he do that? Why does he use the extreme? Why doesn't he boil it down to everyday people like you and me, just getting up and going to work and paying our bills and sending our kids to school and doing the things that we do in everyday life? I think he shows us the ex- extreme to let us know: if I can handle the extreme, don't you think I can handle your little bit of something? If I, look, there's a war going on in Europe, right? I see people posting stuff like every time I start complaining about gas prices, I start complaining about this, that and the other. I think about those people over there. That's a good way to think. That's a good way to make sure that we don't get that we're not guilty of a lack of gratitude because we're sitting in here in a comfortable building this morning. We had something to eat this morning. If we didn't, we'll have something sometime today, We had transportation to get here. We've got clothes on our backs. We've got a lot to be thankful for. We can work. We, can, we, we have homes. We're pretty comfortable, right? That's not the case for everybody around the world. We give thanks for what we have, and we are living in sin when we complain about what's not right. And look, the Lord is showing us through extreme examples because He's, he's ministering to people in the Ukraine right now who are afraid for their lives, who are hiding out, or who have had to leave their homes and leave their country on the road, on the run. Whose, whose cities and towns are being destroyed, whose lives are being turned upside down. You know? And, and the Lord is Lord of those over there who have surrendered themselves and living obedience to, in obedience to Him. And that's the extreme example right now. And then He's looking at us and saying, if I can manage the extreme, don't you think I can manage you? If you, if you will exercise your faith, what happened to your faith? Where is your faith? Why do you default to the negative? I'm here. I'm constant. I haven't gone anywhere. The Spirit inside the man recognizes Him. And Jesus commands that the spirits leave. It's a beautiful picture of God working over all the earth. Working over creation. Working in terms of light and darkness. Working in terms of wind and waves. Working in terms of all of nature. He created it. He is Lord of it. The heavens are His throne and the earth is His footstool. But then bringing it right down into the heart and the life and the mind of one human being. And deliverance happens. So we go to the guarantee that Paul gave us in 1 Timothy chapter 1 where he says god has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind some of you haven't been here the past 3 weeks when we've been talking about this issue of the mind but we can summarize it real quickly we have thoughts in our heads that lead to thought patterns which lead to actions We need to do self-evaluations pretty frequently to see where we are in our thought patterns. What are we thinking about? What are the most common thoughts that run through our heads? Because your life, now listen to this, don't mistake it, and you'd better believe it or you're in trouble. Your life, 100%, every time, guaranteed, will move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. You hear me? Your life, the direction of your life, will absolutely move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. We all know people who have ended up in really, really bad places. Okay, They didn't jump from a really good place to a really bad place overnight. It doesn't happen like that. It goes from allowing a thought to set up camp to be joined by another thought and joined by another thought until it becomes a thought pattern. And a thought pattern is going to lead to bad decisions, which will lead to bad actions, which will take you to a bad place. That's the way it works. But it all starts in here. In the spiritual world, in Christianity, in terms of faith in God, we put a lot of stock on what's going on in the spirit, right? We talk about the, the war, the uh, spiritual warfare. We talk about um, you know, spiritual issues. We talk about the spirit of God. We talk about his power and influence. And we talk about the heart, and it's all legitimate, because usually when you're talking about the heart, what you're really talking about is the mind. Where is the mind? And we'd better be paying attention to the mind. So how do we get to, because I know it sounds easy, but maybe it's not that easy when we try to do it. How do we get from having our natural default when negative stuff is happening in our lives to be to go to worry, to go to fear and anxiety. How do we get from that to getting to the natural default being big faith? How do we get from feeling like we're a fearful person to being a person who's full of faith? How does What's that process look like? Well, the guy who gave us most of the instruction regarding faith, and faith in contrast to fear, is named Paul. And if you read his writings, you're going to learn a lot about it. If you dig really deep, you're going to see how he overcame his own fears, overcame his own anxieties, overcame what he considered to be problems, to be one of the most powerful voices for the Word of God and ambassadors for the mission of the new church after Jesus Christ ascended to heaven that ever lived, if not the most powerful. Because in Romans chapter 7, he talked about his own mind. Right? Where he said, I'm mixed up. Uh, The things that I really want to do, I, I don't seem to be able to get them done. And the things that I don't want to do, I always end up doing. I feel weak. He talks about his thorn in the flesh. And he gives attention to that thorn in the flesh. Right? And he sort of goes to a negative default on the thorn in the flesh. But what does he do? Now, this, this is a lesson. For, this is probably the lesson for us to carry out of here today, because we talked before about how to dig into the Word in order to be able to do something else. Paul said, and that was to take every thought captive. For every thought you have, there is an answer in the Word of God. But if you don't know the Word of God, you're not going to know how to extract the answer. This Sunday, I want to give you this lesson to take with you. Here's what Paul says. He said, I'm dealing with this issue, this problem, this negative thing. It keeps coming to me. I don't know if it was a physical thing. I don't know if he actually had like a cramp, some appendicitis. I don't know if it was a person. I don't know if it was a financial issue. I don't know what it was. But he said, I've got this thorn in my flesh, and it won't leave me alone. It's discouraging me. It's hindering me. He said, "In three times, what did he do? Three times, I went to God, and I asked him to deliver me from this thorn in the flesh. And the first time, he went to God and asked him, will you take this away from me? Do you know what God's answer was? No. Nope. How about that for an answer? It ought to teach us something about our prayers. It ought to teach us that rather than going to God and saying, hey God, here's the answer I want, maybe we ought to go to Him and say, hey God, I would like your answer to this situation. Because that problem, that thorn in the flesh, may be from God. And we're asking Him to take something that's from Him away from us. Because everything that God sends our way doesn't feel good, but it's for our good. right? It's like a pressure cooker. You put some green beans in a, in a jar, tighten the lid down, put them, put them all in a pressure cooker, and you seal that lid and you turn the pressure on. That probably don't feel good to the bean. But when that bean comes out of that pot, it's going to be a whole lot better than it was when it went in, would you agree? Some things He sends to us are to put pressure on us to make us better. Build a little fire under us to get us up moving to do something we didn't think we could do. He goes to him the first time. He says, will you remove this problem from me? And God says, "Nope." A little time passes, He goes back to him again. He says, I'm coming to you again. I'm praying in faith. I'm diligent. I'm obeying your command to bring my needs before you. Will you remove this problem for me from me? Nope. Not going to do it. It's not my will. It's not my will that it be removed. It's my will that you have it. Well, Paul wasn't satisfied with that answer either, was he? So he went back a third time. He says, Father, will you remove this from me? It's driving me crazy. Will you remove this issue, this problem? And this time he gets the same answer, but there's an addendum to the answer. He says, no, I will not remove it, but here's what you need to know. My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient to carry you through even with the issue you're dragging along. My grace is sufficient to give you victory and the victory would not be complete if you did not have the thorn as part of the journey. I'm going to show you something that you can't see with your physical eyes going to reveal to you what grace is, what power is. If you didn't have any problems, if you didn't have any issues, if there were no thorns jabbing you in the side, there would be no reason for God's grace. That's the only time He demonstrates His grace is in salvation and to help us overcome obstacles. See, I got a whole ser- another sermon I could preach about grace. I'm not going to, but I'll give you a little capsule. Okay, what is grace? We've heard it defined as, you know, the the uh, unmerited favor of God. Gives us what we don't deserve, right? He gives us salvation. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. That's grace, but man, if we stop there, we've cheated ourselves. It is so much more than that, because if that's all it was, then why does Paul, every time he's writing to a group of believers, people who've already been saved, people who've already experienced the grace of God for, experienced the grace of God for salvation, why does he say to them, grace be unto you? The grace of the Lord Jesus be unto you. I extend grace unto you. If it's only for salvation, why do they still need it? If grace is only for salvation, then why are we told in Luke chapter 2 that Jesus Himself grew in grace and knowledge? Jesus didn't need to be saved. So what is grace post-salvation? Here's what it is. It is the empowering presence of God that enables you to be everything he created you to be and to do everything he has destined for you to do. So when you've got that thorn, you're still called, and his grace is going to empower you to pursue the calling, to live in freedom, to live in victory, to overcome obstacles, even though you may be dragging an albatross around your neck or you may have a thorn sticking in your side. Well... I'm pretty much feeling like I'm more excited about that than y'all are. But I hope it's soaking in because we have an opportunity to learn and to understand something that is going to make an enormous difference in our lives. You know, it's, some of you just been struggling with stuff like this too long. It's just time. Like I said when we opened up today, uh, look at somebody and say, it's time to get the mind right. Right, I don't. I don't but personally. I, I'm just going to have to say that, if it's available to us, if it's guaranteed to us in the Word of God, then why would we not take advantage of it? Why would we not believe it enough to pursue it? We have to believe it enough to pursue it. You remember how I told you a couple weeks ago to get you some sticky notes and write down scriptures, scriptures that would relate to things you're going through and to post them all over the place so that you can see them. They would be reminders. It'd be an easy way for you to respond when these bad thoughts come to your head, when these temptations come, when these, when the negativism comes. And, and I would ask for a show of hands of how many of you have done that, but, but I'm not going to because I'm afraid I would be... Uh, so disappointed I would have to go home and curl up in a fetal position for the rest of the day by the number of you who didn't do it. And if you didn't do it, you're not serious about getting the mind right. Unless you don't have any problems in your mind, and if that's you, I need to talk to you because I need to figure out how to get there. You can help me. Right? We have the Word. We have the privilege of prayer. We have the privilege of fellowship, encouraging each other. And I'm closing with this right here. When you're dealing with junk in your head, anxiety, and you want an example, get your Bible. Go to your Bible thing on your phone and just read what Jesus did when he was under excruciating pressure. Do you think that Jesus experienced anxiety? You better believe it. He's our model in all things. Just go to the account in the Garden of Gethsemane and read it. And then do what he did. That's my advice. Just do what he did. What did he do? he's, He's under extreme anxiety. And fear is coming against him because he knows what's coming. And the first thing he does is he shares with his brothers about what's going on. And he asks for them to be by his side and to pray with him. And we don't do enough of that. We don't lean on each other enough. But he takes his his closest friends to the garden, removes them from everybody else, and he says, I need you to be here with me because this is going on. I need you to pray with me. They let him down, but he went to them. As an example to us, that's what we're supposed to do. And the second thing he did was he went to his father. He shared with his father. He poured his uh, heart out to his father. He expressed his anxiety to his father. He even asked him, if it's possible, will you remove this cup from me? He prayed. He interceded. He poured Himself out to His Father. Why would we not do that? And the third thing He did was He spoke to His fear. And that's what we ought to do a lot of. He said, Father, if if this is Your will, I'd prefer my answer, which is that you just take it away from me. Just take the cup away from me. But if that's not your will, I'm willing to drink the cup. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He spoke to the fear and said, I'm going to face you head on and I'm going to win. Will it be easy? No. Will it be painful? Yes. Will it be challenging? Absolutely. But I'm going to face you, and I'm going to win because I'm committed to the will of the Father. You want to do something that, in the eyes of observers, may make you look like a lunatic, You can do it privately and you'll be okay, but if you're out in the Walmart, you're going to look a little bit crazy. But that will help you to overcome destructive thought patterns. Just yell at your fears. Yell at it. Yell at the negative thoughts. And say, you got no business here. You don't belong here. I don't receive you here. I don't accept that. Get out. In the name of Jesus, get out. Jesus commanded the the demon to get out of the man and to go to the pigs. We have the authority to use that same name to tell that thing that's bothering us to get out. The negative thoughts, the destructive thoughts. And He will replace it with His Spirit and His Word as we absorb that into us. Father, thank You that the examples You have given us are so clear and so powerful. And they are extreme examples which let us know that if You're able to overcome things like that, You certainly can help us overcome what's going on. I pray as we leave here, over the mind of every person who's in this room. And I pray that every person would make a decision, that they're going to begin to take thoughts captive and to replace them with truth. The enemy is a liar. We know that. He's a liar. Everything he brings to us is built on deception. It's always his method and his manner. So we know that if any thought comes to us that is not a God thought, it's a lie. And we can speak to that lie and we can tell it, you're not welcome here. And we can replace it with a promise. We can replace it with a word. We can replace it with something that we find that you have taught us through your words. And We thank you for it. It's, I, I, I'm confident that you are helping some of us to experience serious mind transformation and that our thought patterns are shifting they're shifting in a kingdom direction and you're revealing your heart to us we're grateful for it and we're grateful that you continue to show up and minister to our needs day by day as we say yes as we remain obedient i pray for your peace to saturate our lives this coming week. I pray for your power to be there, that we can do everything you've destined for us to do, be everything you created us to be. I pray for your provision to show up and meet every need in our lives and that you would protect us from the lies and the schemes of the enemy. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.